if a natural disaster struck your home and you only had a few minutes to gather what you could and leave, what would you take with you? Keep in mind, you can only take what you can safely fit in your vehicle. Millions of Floridians faced this decision last September as Hurricane Ian bore down on the Gulf Coast. There was one resident in Florida that said, we're a family of five with a pet dog. We took several non-electronic games, building blocks for our youngest child, and portable electronics for our teens. We also packed several pairs of clothes per person, toiletries, laundry soap, work laptops, the dog's bed, pet food, and non-recoverable paper documents. Uh, Another woman said, My husband and I took our five guinea pigs and two cats, along with their cages and a litter box. We brought our medications, clothes, pillows, blankets, and some food and sodas. I wish I would have taken my jewelry. Another woman wrote, I didn't take anything of sentimental value for a few reasons. Being a Navy spouse, I learned long ago to detach myself from detach myself sentimentally from things for the most part. Moving fairly often, you have to let go of stuff. If you had just a few moments to, to grab what you could, what would you take with you? It's really a question of what do you value the most? There are many things that we value at Bachelor Creek, but over the last six weeks, we've been exploring our core values what it is we prioritize, and what do we value above and beyond everything else. In case of fire, this is what we're taking with us. Before we dive into the heart of our sixth core value, let's recap the previous five. Our first core value is we stand on biblical truth. Carry the sword. We anchor ourselves in the unchanging truth of God's Word using it as a powerful weapon in our spiritual journey. Our commitment to biblical truth is a call to stand firm, guided by the principles in Scripture. Our second core value is we connect relationally. Break the bread. Building on the model found in Acts chapter 2, we prioritize authentic relationships within our church family. Breaking bread together symbolizes our commitment to fellowship sharing in both the burdens and joys of life, and fostering a genuine sense of community. Our third core value is we give sacrificially. Empty the jar. Emulating the sacrificial act of the woman who emptied the jar and anointed Jesus with perfume, we embrace a lifestyle of sacrificial giving. Our commitment goes beyond financial contributions. It extends to giving of our time, our talent, and our resources for the sake of God's kingdom. Our fourth core value is we raise up the next generation. Pass the torch. Acknowledging the importance of a multi-generational church, we commit to passing the torch of faith on to the next generation. This involves intentional discipleship, investing in the spiritual growth and development of our kids and students. Our fifth core value is we pursue excellence for God's glory. Grip the plow. Embracing a mindset of excellence, we understand that our work and our efforts are an offering to God. Grip the plow symbolizes our commitment to working diligently, giving our best in every endeavor as an expression of worship 
to our excellent God. Today we come to our sixth core value. We are for Wabash and beyond. And the biblical image that accompanies it is see the tree. We find this in the story in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verses 1 through 10. We're going to read this passage together, and if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The first point that I want to share with you today is to see the unseen. See the unseen. In this story, we meet a man named Zacchaeus. He's described in two ways. First, he's a tax collector. And tax collector is probably not going to be on anybody's list of favorite jobs today. I read an article where the term IRS agent has become so unpopular that they introduced a new term, tax policy compliance directors. And I'm not sure that's any better. But back then, a tax collector was more than just an unpopular government official. A tax collector was considered a traitor and a thief. You see, whenever the Roman Empire would take over a city, like they had most of Israel, they would want to tax that city pretty heavily. But they knew that if they sent a Roman official in to collect the tax, he'd really never understand the city well enough to know where all the money was hidden. Because there were all these black markets. And so the Roman hired someone from the city, a native, who knew the city well to collect the tax for them. And they would tell them, this is how much we want, and here's a squad of soldiers to help you enforce the tax, and anything that you get beyond that, you can keep for yourself. So these guys would extract huge sums of money from their own people for Rome, and in the process, keep a bunch of money for themselves and get filthy rich. And if people didn't comply, they would have them beaten or even murdered. And they were doing this for Rome, against their neighbors, against their co-workers, their friends, the people they grew up with and went to school with. Can you imagine a worse person? The Jewish Mishnah said that a tax collector was so detestable, they shouldn't even be considered a human being. And that it wasn't a sin to lie to them because lying to an animal isn't a sin. So so this man is a complete social outcast. And Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector, he's the arctolones. He's the chief tax collector. 
and he's the chief tax collector in the richest city in Israel. And so I just have to ask, how much did money have a hold of Zacchaeus' heart to cause him to live like this? Because no one betrays their own people naturally. This is a man so possessed by the love of money that he's willing to chill cheat, steal, and sell out his closest relationships to get it. Second, we read that he's vertically challenged. He's short in stature. Zacchaeus is a wee little man. And this physical limitation becomes a metaphor for his social standing. Yet Jesus, in his divine wisdom, he sees beyond the labels and beyond the social norms. He sees Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, and expresses the desire to come to his house. And it got me thinking, who are the unseen in our community? Who are the people that that are often overlooked? Is it the lonely? Those who've been abandoned, divorced, widowed? Is it the poor, the unemployed, the disabled? Is it those who've been abused, those who've suffered physical abuse, sexual abuse? Is it the addicts, the drug addicts, alcohol addicts? Is it those with special needs? I think we can identify those who are overlooked in our community, but I think maybe the more pressing question is, is why don't we see the unseen? I think they're overlooked because we see problems, but God sees possibilities. We see the hurt and and we see the pain, and and so we want to walk away from it, but but God sees potential. We look and we see messy situations. We see obstacles, but God sees opportunities. Our challenge is to look beyond the surface. To see people as, not as the world sees them, but to look at them through the lens of Christ's love. Probably 10 or 15 years ago, Brandon Heath wrote a song called, Give Me Your Eyes. And in the chorus, he sings this, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so that I can see. Society looked at Zacchaeus and they saw a loser. They saw a person who had no friends. They saw someone who was greedy and powerful and cold and heartless, and they wanted nothing to do with him. They despised him. But Jesus looked at him and noticed him. He saw him. He saw him as a person. He saw him as someone loved by God. He saw him as someone created in the image of God. He saw the unseen. The second point I want to share with you is to pursue the outcast. To see the unseen, pursue the outcast. Jesus doesn't merely acknowledge Zacchaeus from a distance, but he actively seeks him out. He calls Zacchaeus by name. He desires to come to his house. He breaks down all the barriers of social judgment. See the tree. It is a call to action. See the tree compels us to pursue the outcast and the overlooked in our community. 
It compels us to extend a hand of friendship to those who may feel unworthy or unloved. Because it's one thing to see the unseen, but it's quite another to pursue the person, to engage them, to befriend them. We need to keep in mind where this encounter took place. Not in church, not in the temple, not in a synagogue. It happened out in public, in Jericho. Jesus saw Zacchaeus and he went to his house. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to come to him. He went to where he was. And our responsibility is the same. We are to meet people where they are. We are to pursue them where they're at. So who might you be overlooking in our community? What would it look like for you to reach out to them with the love of Christ? And the reason this matters is because an encounter with Jesus changes everything. Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus is transformative. The love and acceptance that he experiences led to a radical change in his heart and in his actions. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. It has come freely. It freely walked in. Zacchaeus didn't earn it. He freely received it through an experience with Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus leads to a remarkable response. Anyone that Zacchaeus had stolen from, he repaid back fourfold. The Levitical law said that if you stole from someone and got caught, that you were required to repay them and add 20%. There was only one situation in which you'd repay back four times. And that is if you stole someone's cow, because you know that caused utter financial ruin. Zacchaeus isn't giving this money back because he has to. He's doing it because he wants to. See, there's nothing in the Bible about giving away 50%. That's just gravy. In fact, nowhere in this story does Jesus give any direct commands about money. Zacchaeus does it freely. The guy who was willing to sell out his own family to get money is now giving it away like it's Halloween candy. What happened to Zacchaeus? Money no longer had a hold of him. We little Zacchaeus has found a greater treasure. He's found Jesus. See the tree. See the tree challenges us to believe in the transformative power of Jesus' love and the lives of people we encounter. And that means that every interaction that you and I have with someone is an opportunity for Christ's love and transformative work to take place in their lives. And that is why as a church at Bachelor Creek, we have embraced a four mindset. We are for Wabash and beyond. See the tree compels us to be proactive in reaching out, extending grace, breaking down walls of isolation. Being for Wabash and beyond means that we actively seek opportunities to bring the love of Christ into every corner of our community. We are for Wabash. This is the community in which we have been planted. And if you're from a surrounding community, we're for your community. We want you to be for your community, whether that's Peru or Huntington or Manchester. We have a responsibility to love 
and reach our community. I remember several years ago, I led a group of college students to um, the Passion Conference. And in one of the sessions, Francis Chan was speaking, and he made a comment. He said, if I were to announce to you that tomorrow I was going to take a a two-week trip to Thailand, and all you could do was throw a few belongings in a backpack, and, and we'd be living in the jungle for two weeks, he said, I could fill an airplane full of young people to, to go tomorrow to Thailand for two weeks. But if I told you to go and serve your neighbor next door, no one would do it. Why? Because there's a thrill in going overseas. There's an excitement. There's, there's an energy. It's adventurous. Maybe it's a little scary. But to reach the person that lives next door to you, your neighbor, your coworker, that's normal. That's boring. It's routine. And so we don't do it. But that's what Jesus calls us to. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus here outlines the progression of our gospel witness. It starts local and it extends outward. We are called to be witnesses for Jesus in our community. And we can't do it alone. And that's why at Baxter Creek we have developed some amazing partnerships with local ministries that serve and meet the needs of the unseen and the overlooked in our community. We we partner and support with the Life Center it's a, it's a pregnancy resource center here in Wabash. We partner with New Beginnings. It's a ministry that, that helps men stuck in the chains of addiction to be freed through the power of Jesus. It's why we partner and support with Fish that provides food for those who need it in our community. It's why we connect with Lighthouse Mission. It's why throughout the year we have multiple four days at Bachelor Creek where we go in our community And we serve in different ways to show our community that we are for them. It's why we're involved with with so many events and activities downtown and and partner with the city. It's why we did Jingle Jubilee just a few weeks ago. It's why we, as a church, host the Easter egg hunt uh, downtown at Paradise Spring. It's why we put on the block party at Meadowbrook. It's why this March we're hosting Best Night Ever, a prom for people with special needs. It's why we had Christmas in July and collected thousands of dollars in gift cards to give to local teachers to let them know that we are for them. It's why we collected and distributed hundreds of pounds of candy to local businesses for the trick-or-treat extravaganza downtown. It's why last Sunday we were able to send 277 pairs of pajamas to kids in Wabash County this Christmas season through partnering with Wabash Christmas Spirit. We are for Wabash and beyond. Our influence and our mission isn't just limited to our community. It starts here, but it doesn't end here. Acts 1-8 calls us to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28 calls us to make disciples of all nations. And that's why 20% of our operating budget goes to support missions, locally, nationally, and globally. Currently, 50% of that 20% goes to support global missions. 
I even think back to a couple of weeks ago when we had all of the shoeboxes up here on stage and we were able to send 266 shoeboxes. And, and just think about that. Think about how many kids around the world are going to experience joy this Christmas because there was a group of Christians at a church in Wabash County that were for them. Again, we can't make this global impact alone, which is why we have some amazing partnerships. We partner with Morning Glory Christian School in Guatemala. We support WISE, which is Windward Island School of Evangelism in Barbados. We support North Burma Christian Mission, Central Brazil Mission, which is a boat ministry along the Amazon, Heart for Central Africa, Impact West Africa. These are just a few of the ministries we support that are making a global impact at making and growing disciples of Jesus. But I want you to know we do more than just support them financially. We connect with them. We encourage these missionaries. We pray for them. Did you know that we have a missions team here at Bachelor Creek? They're called the 1-8 missions team based off of Acts 1 verse 8. And their primary responsibility is to be the relational and spiritual bridge between the missionaries and Bachelor Creek. This team communicates with these missionaries regularly. They check in with them and let them know that we are for them and we are for the impact they're making for God's kingdom. But we don't just support financially. We don't just support by encouraging and prayer. We support by working and serving alongside these ministries but by sending people from Bachelor Creek to serve on mission trips. Last month, we sent a team to, to go to Grundy, Virginia, to serve with Mountain Mission Home. We send teams to, to Wise in Barbados. We send teams to build homes in Mexico and Dominican Republic and Guatemala with Casas Por Cristo. We send teams to, to Guatemala to, uh, to, to serve with Morning Glory. We are for Wabash and beyond. Are you? If you want to be and you're not really sure where to start, you can begin this week by having a conversation. Reach out to someone who you might typically overlook. Could be a coworker, might be a neighbor, it might be an old friend on Facebook. Let them know that you are for them because God is for them. Contact one of our local ministries this week and ask how you can get involved and volunteer and be a part of what they're doing for our community. Our goal this series hasn't been to simply know what our core values are and to post them on the wall and to put them on our website. The goal is to live out these values. The goal of these values, they're not supposed to be aspirational values, but actual values that are practiced in our daily lives. Because what good are values if they're not lived out? Whenever there's a breakdown between values and practice, things break down. In ancient China, the people desired security from the barbaric invading hordes to the north. And so to get this protection, they built the Great Wall of China. It's 30 feet high, 18 feet thick, and more than 1,500 miles long. The goal of the Chinese was to build an absolutely impenetrable defense, too high to climb over, too thick to break down, too long to go around. But during the first hundred years of the wall's existence, China was successfully invaded three times. It wasn't the wall's fault. During all three invasions, the barbaric hordes never climbed over the wall, 
They never broke through it. They never went around it. They simply bribed a gatekeeper and walked right in through an open door. The purpose of the wall failed because there was a breakdown in values. How can we avoid a breakdown in our core values? How can we see the tree each and every day? Let's call this daily tree sightings. How can we have daily tree sightings? First, you must open your eyes. We are often so blind to what's going on around us because we're only focused on ourselves and we're only focused on what's right in front of us. So much of our lives is spent right in front of a screen and we're blind to what's going on right around us. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer shares that the average American spends 705 hours on social media each year. The average iPhone user touches his or her iPhone 2,617 times a day. The average American watches 2,737 hours of TV each year. The average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games by age 21. A survey from Microsoft found that 77% of young adults said that when nothing is occupying their attention, the first thing they do is reach for their phone. We have to open our eyes. And it begins by praying, God, help me to see the needs of those around me. Open your eyes. Second, slow down. Take a breath. Pause. Do you realize the toll that busyness is having on your health? Especially this time of year with everybody rushing around, Christmas shopping, planning holiday get-togethers. You've got the company Christmas party, the kids' basketball games, practices, Christmas programs. It goes on and on and on. And what do we do? We ask people, how are you doing? What's new? Busy. Busy. And we say it with a sense of exasperation, but we also say it with a little bit of pride because we equate busyness with faithfulness. But Kevin DeYoung says, busyness does not mean you are a faithful or fruitful Christian. It only means that you're busy just like everyone else. And like everyone else, your joy, your heart, and your soul are in danger. And the problem with most of the things that we're involved in is that they're good things. But we need to discern the prompting of the Holy Spirit to sense what good thing we need to say no to so that we can say yes to God's best for us. If you look at the life of Jesus, he was never in a hurry. In Luke 19, we read he's on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to be killed for the sins of humanity. But he stops. He looks up in a tree and he sees Zacchaeus. Can we be real? Most of us wouldn't have even noticed he was in the tree, let alone stop, talk to him, and go over to his house for dinner. Busyness is like sin. Kill it, or it will be killing you. Open your eyes, slow down. Third, take the risk. Take the risk. Have that conversation. Engage with that person. And I know what you're saying, but, but what if it's awkward? What if we don't have anything in common? What if they reject me? What if people judge me for, for hanging out with them? 
what if I flip the question? What if you develop a relationship? What if God shapes your heart through the experience? What if they accept your invitation to come to church? What if, what if that conversation leads them to trust in Jesus? What if the greater risk is not taking one at all? You never know what your conversation will lead to. You're not omniscient, but God is. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6 says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. God is the one who is going to grow the seed of faith in someone else's life, but God may use you to be a part of his plan. You don't know what God is doing. I think it's helpful for us to look at it as a spectrum. And over here, you've got negative five, and over here, you've got positive five, and right here in the middle, you have zero. And zero is the, is the point where someone crosses over from death to life. Zero is, the, is that point when someone trusts in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And so let's say you're having a conversation with somebody, and, and they're at a negative three. And through your relationship with them and through your investment in their life, they move to negative two. And you're tempted to think that you're a failure because that person didn't trust in Jesus. And then that person moves away, and you kind of lose touch with them. But, but four years later, that person makes the decision to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And God will have used you to be a part of the plan, the big picture plan that we can't always see. You never know how God is working in someone else's life. Russell Moore recently wrote about the power of Jesus to radically transform a person's life. He said the next Billy Graham might be drunk right now. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin bumper sticker on his car. The next Charles Wesley might currently be a misogynistic, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist. The next Charles Spurgeon might be managing an abortion clinic today. The next Mother Teresa might be a heroin-addicted porn star this week. The next Augustine of Hippo might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now, just like, come to think of it, the first Augustine of Hippo was. But an encounter with Jesus can turn all of that around. And that's what he wants to do. And so we are committed to living on mission. We are for people because God is for people. We love our community and our world because God loves our community and our world. And when we show our community that there are people and there is a church that cares about them, they will begin to see that there is a God who loves them and cares about them too. And like the story of Zacchaeus, when people see Jesus, he transforms their entire lives from the inside out. Our dream is for Wabash, our extended community, our nation, and our world to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And to be transformed by Jesus, people have to encounter and experience Jesus, which is why at Bachelor Creek we see the tree. This is us. Let's pray. God, our prayer today is that you would give us your eyes to see the unseen, to notice the overlooked, and to pursue them, God. God, we repent of our busyness. We repent of our selfishness. God, we want to be a church 
that doesn't just say that we're for our community and for our world, but God, I pray that we would actually live it. God, would you stir in our heart a passion and a desire to see people changed for all eternity by having an experience with Jesus. God, we can't change someone's life, but you can. And in your amazing plan, you have chosen to use us to be your ambassadors, to be, to be those who represent you. And God, I want to pray if there's anybody here today who, who they're on the outside and their life has never been transformed through an encounter with Christ, I pray that they would have that experience today. You promised to, to wipe all our sins away as far as the east is from the west, to change us from the inside out, to make us new, to give us a new heart, a new outlook, a new purpose. God, thank you for that hope the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.